come to this pivotal chapter. It's a transitional chapter in our walk through Ephesians. Um, we saw that in Ephesians 1 through 3, it really talks about what God's done for us through Jesus Christ and all these powerful, wonderful blessings that have been given to us and bestowed upon us. Now we come to chapter 4, and we see where he's going to call us to a new life, a new lifestyle. Now we're going to get in, we're into the really practical application of what, what Paul wants to speak to the church. And I want you to follow along with me. I'm going to start in verses, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to kind of skip down to what we talked about last week and then get into what we were, what we're going to talk about this week. So starting at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I, therefore, notice there's going to be four therefores that you're going to hear about. Remember what we say last week, whenever there's therefore, you always ask, what's it? Therefore. Because it's always talking about referring back to what has preceded it. So Paul's saying that because of everything that Jesus has done for you in chapters 1 through 3, therefore, I am a prisoner of the Lord by choice, beseech you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called. How do you do that? You do it with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And Paul's going to go on and talk now about this body, this this thing called the church that's made up of people that's called to be united. And one of the ways that they stay united and stay together is because in, late, in, in following verses, he talks about the five manifold parts of the church leadership, pastors, prophets, evangelists, apostles, who are called to mend and bring people together, put them together so that they become a united functioning group who do what? They grow and they mature in their love and unity. Now you come down to verse 17, and this is what we looked at last week, and it says again, this I say, therefore. Because of everything that I have just said, Paul says, note this. And I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. Remember, that's just anybody who is outside faith in Jesus Christ at that time and even for today. He says, of the Gentiles, who walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, having, who being past feeling have now given themselves over to lewdness, licentiousness, lasciviousness, and they work all uncleanness and greediness. And I said last week, and it's really true, we're going to look at it. I am so glad it doesn't end there. Because Paul says in verse 20, but you, you, he's talking now to people who know Jesus. He says, you know what? You have not learned Christ. If indeed you have heard of him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. He brings all this negativity now and he brings it to the positive person of Jesus Christ. And he says, you have put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, this guy that's dead when you came to Jesus Christ, this old woman that's dead, that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And then he says, now be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We looked at that bad list and all the negative things of that last week and 
Now we come to this third, therefore. Because of this, because of all this negativity, understand this, therefore, I want you to be putting away lying, untruthfulness, falsehood. Let each one of you speak truth to who or with who? His neighbor. For we are members of one another. Now he's going to go through this list and he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands in what is good. Why? So that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed by the day of redemption. In verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you and with all malice. And he gives another corollary in verse 32. And he says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. And in chapter 5, verse 1, it says the fourth, therefore, because of all this that I just said, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Once you come to Jesus, loved ones, this is what you do day in and day out. Decision by decision. Isaiah said it this way, that our life in God and the things that we learn is line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. I noted last week that so often people get frustrated in their Christian life because why? Well, it's like two steps forward and one step back. Three steps forward, three steps back. And sometimes we just get so frustrated with the process because we think... Oh, I should be so much further along. And sometimes we even look around at one another and some of the people around us and we'll go, how come I can't be where Bob is? How come I can't be where Sarah is? How come, you know, and, and we get really, really frustrated. We talked last week about the renewing of our mind and how we're to put off the old self. Well, tonight we're going to focus on what we're supposed to put on. The language, the metaphor, the literal picture that Paul is using here is literally putting off and putting on a wardrobe. Now, what he's not, he's not talking literally about clothes, but he's really talking about character and conduct. Because we're moving now from the blessings of what Jesus Christ has done, and because he has done all of these things in us and through us and for us, he now lives within us, and we now are empowered to be able to make these decisions to put off, to renew our mind, as we talked about last week, and now to put on. I'm sweating like a dog up here. You're probably wondering, what in the world is he wearing that stupid jacket for? Yeah. Anybody want to wear it? You cold? Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to, by illustration, it's literally like this. There comes a time when God comes in and the Holy Spirit redeems you and seals you. Remember we talked last week about this thing called justification? That, that it happens in a moment? When that happens, you are now empowered to begin to put off and put on. So he says, it's like a wardrobe. There's going to be things now that you're going to whew, take off. Why do I take it off? Because this doesn't fit on an 85 degree night. And we're going along in our life. And sometimes there's other things that don't fit. I pulled this shirt out. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's 
been through too many golf matches and it kind of smells like sweat and Trina says get rid of it so I set that aside I'm taking that off and then here's one of my old suits <laughs> you can probably figure out why I'm gonna get rid of this thing this is back in 1973 and it still fits and uh, it's barely but it's on I tried the pants on but I won't put you through that um, <laughs> because they still fit too, sort of, kind of. and um, But it's out of style. It isn't befitting who I am in 2012. So what do I do? Well, it's a piece of wardrobe that I just take off. Well, sometimes we get clothes and we get rid of them. Why? Well, because they get rips in them and they get holes and they get old. And so what do we do? We get rid of them. Hey, have, you ever, have you ever seen one of these? See, I get these all the time from about five or six different places. And so what I do is, it says, well, we're going to put all your used clothes and stuff that you don't want anymore in this little bag, and we'll come and pick it up. So what I do is I fill it up with all my old clothes. I throw it out there. And this is literally the picture that Paul is saying, take it off. De-robe some of those things that are not befitting of the life of Jesus in your life. And then you put them over here and you get rid of them. Like some of these shoes, you know, stains, junk. What do you want to do? He says, because what I want you to do now is put on some new stuff, some good stuff, some godly stuff. You see, a lot of times Christ followers who come to Jesus, they get so frustrated because there's a couple of different perspectives they take. Either they kind of lean into the thinking that Jesus is going to do it all for them and the Holy Spirit's going to change them and they just kind of go along for the ride or they get really frustrated because they work so hard at it and nothing happens. That's why we talked last week, it's important that you be renewed in your mind. That's a present tense description. It says that you are being renewed daily the way you think. Because what happens, our thoughts will begin to do what? They dictate our behavior. How you think is ultimately how you're going to act, how you're going to believe, and how you're going to behave. Well, now we come to today and he says this, I want you to put on the new self. Because now that you're being renewed in your mind, you're going to begin to think right. And when you begin to think right, because of the power of God, you're going to begin to be able to act right. And again, it's like changing clothes. And these are commands when he says, I want you to begin to be putting these, this new self on. Because what Paul is saying is, because of your identity in Jesus, this is who you are. This is who you're becoming. Now begin to live it out daily. And he uses these two words and he says, the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness, when he uses that word, is simply a restoration of standards in your life. As you become righteous, as you become righteous in Jesus Christ, as you walk with him and you begin to experience his transformation, what begins to happen is you understand right and wrong, destructive, non-destructive things in your life. What's right before people? What's right before God? What's wrong before people? What's wrong before God? And then he says this word that really, gets really mixed up in Christendom. And he says, and you'll be holy. Rest, uh, righteousness is the rest, restoration of standards in your life. Holiness is the restoration of your purpose. Remember in the passage from last week, a lot of those passages had to do with aimlessness, purposelessness. 
There's no sense of purpose in one's life. Holiness brings you back in being set apart for God's higher purposes. That's why He loves you. That's why His love came down. That's why He saves you to give you new standards and new values for you to begin to live out. So He says, I want you to put off and I want you to put on. Now some of you are still going, wow, okay, wow, that sounds really good. I know how to do that in my clothes. But how am I going to do that spiritually? Well, go, back, go over a couple of pages to Philippians chapter 2. Paul wrote this book as well to the church at Philippi. And Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13, he kind of gives us some insight in how this gets worked out in our lives. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says this. Oh, he starts off again with, therefore which refers back, and he's talking about Jesus and who he is and what he's done on the cross for us. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says, You're like these kids that I sent out from the home, and you did what I asked you to do. You didn't, when I left, you didn't go crazy. You, you lived the life of Jesus. He says, now, much more in my absence, this is what I want you to do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Paul says to them, I want you to work out your salvation. He says, and that work out has the idea of having energy, have a passion, have a desire, have a drive, have an intensity behind it. Now hear me, because I know some of you theologians are going, oh, 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 pastor, this is holy ground now. We don't work for our salvation. Absolutely not we don't. Salvation is what? It's a gift. It comes by and through the free grace of God. But we talked last week about the three components of salvation. Justification that happens at the moment. There's sanctification. This is what we're talking about tonight, continuing to talk about that process of looking and being transformed into the image of Jesus, going from a kind of an ugly caterpillar to a beautiful flying in-flight butterfly. See, some of us, though, we just understand this salvation thing is kind of, okay, i got to get my fire retardant suit on so I'm free from hell, and I can go to heaven, and then nothing else changes the rest of your life. And salvation is so much larger than that. It isn't just about escaping hell and getting to heaven, but it's about living a life down here that, oh, what did Paul say in Ephesians 4.1? That is worthy of the life of God. So Paul is talking here about a past moment, a time past. In Ephesians 2, he mentioned it in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, you, us, we, when we come to Jesus, we're no longer these objects of his wrath, separated from his life. People who experience his anger and ultimately his judgment. But he says, now when you've come to Jesus, what happens? You are now, you get to experience the expressed mercy and grace of this loving God who now isn't a God out there but he's this loving father that comes to you because now you're his child and Paul is moving now to this present time where he's saying you are a work in progress bit by bit you have a responsibility to be working out what God is working in Bit by bit, he's touching your soul. Bit by bit, he's touching your spirit. Bit by bit, he's touching your life. And hopefully there's things around you that are changing. The word being transformed. 
Now, maybe let me illustrate this this way. You You come to Christ and you experience this thing called sozo, salvation. Happens in the past, justification. But then you move into this thing called sanctification. It's kind of like if you're if you're married. I got and you begin. Paul says you're going to be working it out day by day, all the time, and that can be the frustrating part. Kind of like marriage. You know, it was June 24th, 1978. I got married, and I said, I do. And I've been a husband now for 34 years, working it out with fear and trembling, <laughs> all the time. You know. I mean, just, did I say the wrong thing? Did I do the wrong thing? And, you know, you just kind of worry about that. But I'm married, and I daily have to live out, well, to grow and to be true in what a husband is to be and to become. And it just kind of unfolds, doesn't it? Some days are better than others. And that's kind of how our salvation experience is. It started over here, and now we are working it out. And Paul's writing here in both of these books to people who know Christ. He says you can't earn it, you can't work for it, but you've got to work out what God has already worked in. He says, I want you to put some sweat into it. That's easy tonight. I want you to put some energy behind it, some passion toward it. Now, when I start talking like this, some of you might be getting a little update. Well, Pastor, I mean, it's all about grace. It's nothing we do. I understand that. But see, sometimes the church, we swing this silly pendulum. We go from work, 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 to don't do nothing, to do nothing, to do nothing. And God is always in between. It's not either or. It's always both and. It is grace. But once you experience that grace, guess what? There is a lot to do to work it out. There is no Jesus pixie dust. There is no Holy Spirit wand that all of a sudden just changes you. The process begins there. But then you've got to begin to put some energy behind it, some sweat into it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. You remember that when we studied it. Let me read it to you again. It says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves... It's the free gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we like to stop there. Well, here's the second part, though. He doesn't say, and I'm doing this so you can get to heaven, although we know he is, because that's in chapters 1 through 3. But when he says that here in in, in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, what does he say? He says, ah, for we are his workmanship. We are his creation. For what? So that we can be involved in what? Good works. And now hear me. Don't separate those. Salvation will always, should always lead you to good works. Good works will never get salvation for you. Do you understand what I just said? But if you are truly walking with Jesus Christ, if we're going through this transformation process, there should be change, there should be good works, there should be fruit coming forth from your life. There should be action, there should be generosity, there should be love. And if there isn't, I would challenge you to consider, do you really know Jesus Christ? James 2.26 talks about faith without works is what? It is dead. It's not there. 
If salvation isn't backed up by something, you've got to question it. Jesus even said it, Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 21. This guy comes up to him, slides up to him and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus looks at him. He didn't say what we would think he would say. Well, <clears throat> well just come and well, just believe in me. Just put your faith in me. What does he do? He goes, well, you, you, you've told me now that you do all the right things, but I got one more thing for you to do, and I want you to go give, your, give, give some resources to some poor. See, even Jesus has people do things. Early followers of Jesus Christ in, in America, you know, you know what they were called? They were called do-gooders. We don't get called that much anymore. <laughs> you, you, you know, we've, we've kind of cheapened it. You know what we're called now? We're called right-wingers with a cause, or Republicans, which is so far screwed up. I, I know that just messed with some of your theology. But, but don't ever think you've got to be a Republican to be a Christian or vice versa. Or that just because you're a Republican makes you a Christian. Uh, a lot of people believe that. That's never what Jesus intended. Jesus intended for your life and mine to experience transformation so that it gets seen in every dimension and every element of our lives. When you go home tonight and you're sitting there with your spouse, when you go home tonight and you're with your children, when you go to your neighborhood, when you go to the cubicle, wherever you go, people around you should begin to be able to see and sense the presence of God in your life because there's transformation and change and the life of Jesus taking place in your relational orbit. See, Philippians 1.6 says this, God has started a deep work within you and he will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus or you die. The key is, is every one of us has got to plug into it. The key is, is we've got to tap in to the power source. Now this is where Christians kind of get frustrated because, we, oh, okay, I've got to work it out. So we work, work, work. Work, work, work. And we've got a job to do. And so we get a saw. We just, we're going to work. We're going to make it happen. And we start, oh, come on. It's not working. It's not cutting. It's because I'm trying to do it all. So what do you got to do? Well, this saw is no good unless you tap into the power. For all you OSHA folks and for my self-protection, I know some of you are thinking, man, Terry, tool time, we're in trouble tonight. <laughs> be aware, be very aware. I have run a Makita before, but I will put on my protectical goggles or whatever they're called. Watch this. Wow, pretty slick, huh? I have all my fingers. You see how easy that was? I see, so many of us in our lives, we do, we pick it up, we forget to plug into the power source that it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I am confident of this very thing that he that begun a good work in you will perform it. And that's right before this chapter. But Paul says, I want you to begin to work out what I'm working in. See, it's a cooperative effort, loved ones. 
it's not all about you, while it's all about him, he's not going to do it all. There's an energy, there's a power source deep within you called the Holy Spirit who is at work. And God, he says here, will give you the drive, the energy, the passion to begin to look around in your life and say, I got to take this off. This, this isn't befitting me. I got to get rid of that. Oh, I got to put on some new stuff. I talked last week about one of the processes of, of renewal of renewing your mind are fierce conversations where you meet with other Christ followers and you talk through things and you challenge one another. I had a few of those this week. It was really fun because you know what? Some of those fierce conversations that were not easy were really difficult, really hard, but you begin to see the lights go on in people's lives. They go, oh, now I understand why Jesus says do this or says don't do that. And some of them said, I am going to make some changes. See, that's the process. You begin to know what God wants, and then you begin to make decisions. And this desire comes from God's spirit, this energy, this energy that is in you. So what's your part? Well, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, what he said, remember that scripture that says, train yourself unto godliness? That train yourself has the idea of get to the gym. Be a gymnast. Like an Olympian. They don't just show up in London and go, whoa, I'm going to run 100. You know? They've been training for years. And they didn't just become Olympians in six months. Remember the story of, of Michael Phelps when he lost one of his gold medals that they expected him to win? It's because he, even though he'd won two gold medals in the before, he didn't win a third gold medal. Why? Because he said, I wasn't even going to do it after the last Olympics. And he just started training eight months ago for it. And he got beat by Lochte. Why? Well, because he hadn't been consistently training. Can I tell you something? That's a great analogy and picture of your training in the Holy Spirit and your Christian life. It's not like a one Sunday, okay, oh, give me the shot, preacher, and then I go home and I'm going to be different. No, this is just a little shot that you get to take home now, and when you leave tonight, then you're going to go, okay, i got to begin training. Get to the gym. And hear me now, this is where you got to, it's not about trying harder it's about training longer. Well, what do you mean? I don't know if Ryan McNabb is here, but he's our other drummer, you know, the big guy that's like, like 6'4 and 300 pounds of bulking, hulking muscle that he can barely wear a t-shirt because it just, you know. And um, can you imagine going to the gym and he's, you know, you're okay, skinny old me and a little heavy me. And I walk into the gym and, I'm going to start working out. I think I'm going to go pump some weight. And all of a sudden, Ryan's over there because he's a physical trainer and buff dude. And, and I walk up and there's Ryan over there and he's just, he's just 300 pounds. I'm going to do that. I mean, I'm not that much smaller than Ryan. And I'm, and I'm, you know, a number of years older. So I'm going to try that. So I go over there and Ryan goes, hey, Pastor, how you doing? And I walk over there and I, I get I lay down and it says, Ryan, kind of spot me here. And, and, and so I lay down on the bed. I can't even budget. 300 pounds? Are you kidding me? 
So can you imagine if Ryan, who's a physical trainer, just started, come on, Pastor, you can do it, try harder, try harder, come on, you can do it. Okay, okay. You think I'd be able to budget? No. Come on, Pastor, you try harder. No. This is what, you know what Ryan would say to me? He'd say, Pastor, listen, I've been doing this for six years. I think what we need to start with you is about 50 pounds. It's got this little bar, it's got these little weights. And he says, this is what I want you to do for the next year. I want you to come in three times a week and I'll work with you. And what I want you to do is I want you to do your reps, 50 pounds. And then each week you come in, add about two or three pounds, two pounds and two pounds on each side. Now, I don't know if you ever get to 300 pounds, but I will guarantee you in a year's time, you will be able to press a whole lot more than 50 pounds, and you'll be in better shape. Why? Is that because I tried harder? No, it's because I started training. It's because I put my mind to it. Now again, listen loved ones, this is where theology and some of the things that you hear in church sometimes isn't really all that good because grace is so important. But we forget that after grace, everything of this Christian life is going to cost you something. It's, you're going to have to put some energy, some passion and some stuff into it. If you don't, you're going to stay a gospel glob. And I'm sorry, but some of you are gospel globs and you go, I don't know why. But Jesus is in me. Jesus, I love him. You're not going to the gym. See, verse 25, Paul puts it this way. He says, therefore, putting away. Now, when he says put off the new man, put on the new man, those are really one-time happenings. That's like that justification, that salvation. When you come to Jesus, you are a new person. Tell the person next to you, I am a new person. I'm going to start acting like it. But hear me, you are a new person that is in you, the Spirit of God, if you've really come to Jesus Christ. One time, done, new. But then you have a responsibility. Verse 25 says that therefore, you're now you're going to be putting away things and putting on things. You're going to begin. Listen, you're going to go to the spiritual gym and every day you're going to make decisions that are going to ratify that one-time decision. Does that make sense? You're going to grow. Your, your, your spiritual muscle is going to increase. It's going to get stronger. It's going to get better. Because every day, you're going to come up against situations and you're going to say, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's out of style for me. I'm taking that off. I'm bagging that. Or, oh yeah, okay, Lord, I see what you want me to put on here. And then you begin to put it on. And every day your decisions begin to ratify the one-time decision. That's how you train. In your notes there, you'll see kind of this pyramid of progressive training. I got this from Chip Ingram, a book by him. And you begin to see that Paul challenges the church at Ephesus, which would have been many churches in Asia Minor. And he challenges the church at Creekside, the core issues of our lives. What's the first thing that he says you're going to be trained in? First of all, is personal integrity. You're going to put on honesty, not falsehood. What's he talking about? Speak the truth. 
Why? Because we belong to one another. Everything in this chapter is, re is, is referring back to unity in the body, growing together, healing, maturing together. You can't maintain healthy relationships if it isn't based on honesty and truthfulness. So when he, he says when you talk to people, when you, when you speak to people, you don't shade it, you don't skew it, you don't distort it, you don't exaggerate it. Whether it's to protect yourself or to benefit yourself. Put off false head. It doesn't fit you anymore. That's not the clothing that you wear. That's not part of your wardrobe. See, you're like the father of lies, Satan, when you lie and you're not being truthful or you're not being honest. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. Want to be like Jesus? Speak the truth. See, Paul notes earlier in chapter 4 that we're members of one body. We're organically connected. You and I, listen, loved ones, we are interdependent. The health of your personal body depends on your body telling it the truth. Could you imagine if, you, if your stomach never worked with your brain to say, I'm hungry! What would you do? You would die. You would starve to death. Or imagine if it got its wires crossed and it said, keep eating, keep eating, and you just gorged yourself to death. It's got to tell the truth. When your mind, when, when, when something happens in your life, when danger comes, your adrenal glands pump fresh adrenaline through your system, get it ready for fight or flight. See, when falsehood is prevalent in an interdependent system, sickness comes and that negativity becomes toxic and it begins to affect everybody else. Listen, that's why so many churches go sideways and get screwed up. The psalmist says God desires truth in the inward parts in our innermost being. Unless we're honest with ourselves, with God, and then in turn with others, can I tell you something? Transformation will never take place. The older I get, the more I sit in my office with people and I say, listen, I ain't got any stake in this. I just got to lay it out for you. You come to see me, this is it. This is your bottom line. Don't want to hurt you, but sometimes I've got to do that with the truth. Now hear me, some of you, maybe not some of you, but I know people that, well, let me just give you the truth, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, dump truck. You know, they don't care about building you up, and we'll talk about that in a minute. They just Be careful with the truth, but make sure you're speaking it. The second thing he says is there's got to be not only personal integrity, but emotional control. What you learn is you're no longer driven by anger. He says, be angry and do not sin. That's the good news. There's legitimate anger. We saw anger. God is angry at times. We see Jesus who goes in and clears the temple because he's angry. Anger is a legitimate emotion. If you don't have anger sometimes, a lot of things wouldn't get done. The key is, is you're not driven by it, and it's not misdirected. It's a part of God's character. But it means, listen, it means that everybody in your life ought to be as safe with you when you are angry as when you're not angry. Now that's big. That you can get angry, and you can speak the truth, but the people around you should still feel safe. Do you deal with anger that way? People should not have to change their lives to protect themselves because you're having a bad hair day or a tough time, especially children. 
They need to know that the energy and the power of your anger is going to be directed or is not going to be directed or vented in harmful ways at them. That they all know that you will, they will always be safe with you. See, God wants you to know, don't let your anger violate you as a Christ follower. So many people are driven by anger. They use it to intimidate. But you don't have to be victimized by the energy of it. Don't deny it. But just take the energy of it and begin to reappropriate it and cooperate with the peaceful person that God is already making you by making decisions. Because he says, you can get mad, but you can direct it in such a way that it doesn't cause sin. Now the bad news is this, loved ones, when you don't deal with your anger in a whole, healthy, holy way, it becomes a landing place for the devil, the enemy of your soul. And literally it says that he can get a handle in your life. I don't totally know what that looks like, but I've seen people with emotional, soul, psychological, mental issues and I'm not talking about demonic possession or some weird exorcist thing, but I am talking about this influence of the enemy can have on one's life. He loves to land in angry hearts. But it's here in this community, it's here in the community of God that you learn how to deal with it. See, your or my anger isn't anyone else's problem. Most abusers will say that. Well, you made me angry. Uh -uh. That's your issue. God says, Paul says, I want you to get control of it. And if you're here tonight, loved ones, with a problem with anger, get help. First of all, take responsibility, admit it, and then get some help. Don't excuse it. Because as you go through this progression, personal integrity, emotional control, you really can't go any further than what you're working on and moving in and growing in. The next one he says is financial stewardship. He says you move from a taker to a giver, verse 28. Not only he says, listen, don't steal, but I want you to work. See, we now as Christ followers, this whole process, he says you're in a new community and you work for the right reasons and for higher purposes. The focus isn't to accumulate, but we work to use our goods and turn them, our resources, into ministry currency. It isn't all about us now. It isn't all about our 401k. It isn't all about our home. It isn't all about our new car. I'm sorry, but God says, I've got a higher purpose for you. There's nothing wrong with nice things, but ultimately you will move and be transformed as you learn to be a giver and not simply a taker. As you learn to be a resource person and not simply someone who always expects and wants to hoard and have it hoarded unto them. I love it when it gets quiet. But it's true, loved ones. Dare I say, is it possible that some of us aren't experiencing transformation because we're still takers? Our resources are still all about us. Well, the next one is speech patterns. He says you move from a destroyer to a builder. This is about a mouth that's corrupt. It's corrupt communication. It, the word nuanced, it's, it's rotten. It's worthless, spoiled language. 
It's not specifically cursing or crudity, but really the focus of it is it's the language that makes someone less valuable than what they really are. See, don't we live in a culture of the put-down? We're critical, we're gossipy. We say something that we think is funny, but it always has a zinger of truth. And in this new community that Paul is couching all of this, he's addressing relationships, church life, family and marriage and spouses. And he puts it this way, you need to learn to talk right. You need to cut the cruddy tongue, the stinky mouth. See, the tongue has tremendous power. Proverbs says that life and death are the power of the tongue. It's incredible how we can literally reduce people to death by this small little organ. And Paul is calling us to put on a healthy mouth because we're in community. We can't be in community. We can't grow. We can't love. We can't care. We can't nurture. We can't build up if we're cutting down. But we have a tendency to take people's weaknesses and focus on those and then begin to work them down. It's, it's interesting. Uh, we had a picture of her, but uh, there's a, a great triple jumper. You may have heard about her, Valu Pipacrosto, who was a triple jumper for Greece. Olympics hadn't even started yet. She tweeted something, an ethnic racial slur about a group of people who were in Greece at that time, and they bounced her from the Olympics because of what she tweeted and said. It was a racial slur. I, I'm always surprised... A little taken back by Christ followers who go, well, you know, <laughs> I think it comes from the right wing thing a little bit, but, well, you know, freedom of speech, we're so politically correct. I go, really? We're going to turn this into a political correct thing? See, my concern is that as a community, and this is what I generally love about Creekside, is we be biblically correct. It's not about being politically correct. It's about being biblically correct. And if we're biblically correct, we're going to be a lot more careful with our words than we are if we were politically correct. Because we understand how that devalues people. We recently had a person in this church that was confronted because, well, they just said some derogatory things that were so unfounded about our staff personnel. And we sat around and said, hey, let's talk about this. We asked a few outsiders, tell me, does, do you believe, is this true about what this person said or believes? Wow, I haven't seen that, haven't seen that, don't feel that, and haven't heard this. No. And this is a person that, since they've been in this church, people around them have done nothing but build them up and encourage them and blow wind into their spiritual and ministry sails. They got this sour, sick attitude and just started saying to about this staff and this staff and this staff, all of these mean-spirited, gossipy, uncaring, ugly things. You know why? Because their speech is corrupt. But can I tell you really why? And I'll tell them this. I haven't had the opportunity. I might or might not. I don't know. But their heart's corrupt. It's kind of harsh, Pastor. Well, no, that's what Jesus said. Let's say what Jesus said. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Paul says, if you want to have a community that's going to grow and become united, you can't have corrupt, rotten, worthless speaking. 
And I'm convinced that there's nothing that gives the devil a greater opportunity and a greater handle and landing voice than words that we speak. Your words are like a seed. They go, they take root, and they begin to grow. And ultimately, your words, just like God's word, will produce fruit. How many of you have heard something that you said two weeks later, two months later, and you go, oh, that sounds so bad. Did I, really? How, why? It's hard, I know. That's why Paul says you're going to make a decision every day to ratify that other new man. See, he gives an alternative. He says, use language and words that edify, to prosper, to benefit, to build up. Say words that minister favor. So when people listen and then they leave you, they leave a little bit bigger, a little bit better off. It doesn't mean that there isn't a time that we confront and say some hard things, but we do it with grace. Not to belittle and put down, but ultimately the word there is to edify, which means to build up a building. And this is hard for us to learn, hard for us to learn as parents, it's hard for me to learn as a boss, to make sure that when I have to speak truth, and I have to be critical, and I have to speak into somebody's life or in counseling, that I do it in such a way that they believe I love them, and that I'm speaking for the, to the betterment for them. So when they leave, they go, oh, that hurt! But thank you. I needed that. How about just when people leave you? At the office at the end of the day, you, you, you leave home in the morning. <laughs> you're, you're driving on the road. Are you leaving people better? That's what he's saying. Well, the last one is our private attitudes. And he says, this is where you've got to be like Jesus. And he comes back to this anger thing, and he uses the word wrath, which in the Greek it's thumos, and it means outbreaks of anger. He says, you shouldn't have this. This should not be part of your persona. It's an outbreak of anger. It's a picture of a, of a straw where uh, a match is set to it goes up. You ever heard somebody say, well, I just get it out and I get over with it. Yeah, you burn everybody around you too. That's not healthy. It's not right. And he uses another word, anger. The word is orgate, and it's this habitual anger. It's just someone who's an angry person, and they walk around, and they just kind of bait you, draw you in, so he can get you in a fight. He says, that shouldn't be part of who you are. That's not part of your wardrobe. And he uses the word bitterness, which is prakriya, which is long-standing resentment. How many people do we know? And I'm amazed in the church at how many people will nurse something and keep it hot in their heart and use it against people instead of dealing with it before Jesus and letting it go. Oh no, I'm going to nurse it. I remember what they said. I remember what they did. We'll go deal with it. Oh no, I'd just rather be mad. That's what he's talking about here. Why? These break down the fabrics of relationship. And Paul says, I'm going to give you the antidote to these. What does he say? He says, number one, I want you to be kind. You're not going to be a user anymore. You're no longer going to be insensitive, demanding, or domineering. But there's going to begin to be a kindness, winsome graciousness to who you are. That's who you're going to be. That's who you are. He says you're going to be compassionate. You're going to see beyond yourself to the needs of others and to act for others because you care. And he says you're going to be forgiving. 
you're going to relinquish the right to punish, to hold in judgment, to live punitively against somebody or anybody else. How do you do those? You make decisions every day because you have Christ in you, the power source that you can tap into. Why do these things? Why live this way? Embrace them? Because this is what Jesus has done for you, is Paul's conclusion. Because he's done those for you, he says, I want you to do that for others. See, this is my question to you tonight, loved ones. How can I, how can you refuse to give love, kindness, forgiveness, and patience to other people that deserve them, that need them, or maybe don't deserve them? when you and I have received these, and not on the basis of earning them, but because Jesus said, I love you. Here you are. If you know Jesus tonight, loved ones, you got a new wardrobe. you got a new power source. Let's be putting it on. And let's be putting off old stuff. And let's speak with love and truth so that we mature as a body to become everything God's called us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.